Welcome to Content Pros Podcast, where we unlock the strategies and secrets of the best content marketers in the world and ask the questions you've always wanted asked. Content Pros is sponsored by Clear Voice Content Marketing Software, helping you decrease your time spent creating content by up to 50% while doubling your online engagement. Convince and Convert, content marketing strategy advisors and counselors to leading brands and organizations worldwide. Convince and Convert makes your content better. Oracle Marketing Cloud, helping businesses use the latest marketing technologies to tell their stories and connect with their customers. And by Uberflip, a content experience platform that allows marketers to create, manage, and optimize tailored content experiences for every stage of the buyer journey. Now, here are your hosts, Jeffrey L. Cohen, Director of Content Strategy at Oracle Marketing Cloud, and from Uberflip, Randy Frisch. Ready? Let's talk to the pros. Welcome to another episode of Content Pros. We are very excited. When I say we, that's me, Randy, over at Uberflip, and I've got Jeff Cohen, as always, from Oracle Marketing Cloud. And you know, this is going to be, I think, the first time we've had a content expert who's also a lawyer. Um, and I'll let Jeff uh, intro Ruth in a minute here, but she's already given us permission to call her a content legal badass, I believe. So it's going to be a little edgy today as much as you may be thinking lawyer. But, you know, Jeff, maybe you can give a little bit more on Ruth and and bring her into the show. Thanks, Randy. It's great to be here as always for another episode of Content Pros. And when I threatened to introduce Ruth as attorney Ruth Carter, she said, oh, that's so boring. I'm so much more than that. So rather than me doing disservice to her so much more than that, we'll let Ruth just dive right in and, and let's start a conversation. Welcome, Ruth, to Content Pros. Hi, Jeff and Randy. Thanks for having me. So we're here talking about content, social media, this crazy world of marketing that we all live in. And I guess by one part of your profession, you're an attorney. So how, how do you come to this crazy world of ours? In a very backwards way. So before I went to law school, I worked in the mental health field for nine years. And I realized that was no longer a good fit for me. And I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And a family friend said, you can't go wrong with a law degree. So I said, perfect. I'll go to law school. I will have three years to figure out this career crisis. And while I was in law school, I got involved in flash mobs, uh, you know, public pranks and lighthearted things, not the, not the criminal ones. And everybody I knew in the flash mob world worked in social media. So it was through them that I got involved in Twitter and blogging and content creation. And it just kind of led into this organic mesh of how can we, both you know myself and people I know, uh, continue to push the envelope without crossing the line. And so that's kind of what led to my current legal career. Ruth, when, when you divide up your time between being, I guess, a, a practicing attorney and blogging about legal issues that, that help others, and as, as you watch social media sort of occur around you, what does that look like? What, is it, like? what does your day look like or what does your, your world look like 
from a from a professional perspective? Well, there is no such thing as a typical day for me. Um, I do maintain a, a pretty full calendar in terms of both client work and content creation. Um, so I'm, I'm looking at, I have my to-do list actually up on my wall in my office. So I'm looking over at it right now, just going, oh my God, how much work do I have to get done before I go to my mastermind event in December? Um, so yeah, so I do keep a full calendar of client work and then usually, um, you know, weekends and evenings is when I do the majority of my content creation, though sometimes the the bug just just hits you and you just got to write or create or throw on your video camera and just do it in the moment. So um, it's very different to work for clients, which is usually uh, very diligent and research-based and every single word and comma matters. And there's a way more editing um, in terms of what I do in terms of like client work than uh, blog posts. Whereas with a blog post, a lot of times I can sit down for 10 minutes, throw on my dictation software, get the first draft done. And then within 30, 40 minutes, get it edited, find a video for it, a picture for it and get it posted. So that, that's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, you know, in a way, you're you're always editing. I mean, as as many lawyers are trying to get the right words out. But I'm just I'm curious, just taking a step back, and you know, I, I don't know how many lawyers listen to this, but I think a lot of us can relate to the challenge of prioritizing content creation in our organization, and whether that's us as content marketers, or whether that's us trying to get other individuals in our company to see the power of writing content. And, you know, in my company, Uberflip, sometimes we're calling on law firms. And, and I know a lot of the time at the larger law firms, they're struggling to get the lawyers to write content because that lawyer thinks, well, I can bill at, you know, five, six, seven hundred dollars an hour. I can't rationalize taking time to create content. How, how have you been able to justify your own time? And how do you think others can maybe, you know, maybe those who aren't working at a law firm, but use that same type of justification to help rally other writers in their organization? You bring up an excellent point, because in my work, I both have a solo practice that I use for my speaking and writing. And then I am part of another firm as an independent contractor or in the legal industry that's called of counsel. So I blog and both both firms have blogs. I write for, um, I'm the only one who writes on my solo practice. And I've had to be diligent about myself and actually reset a rule for myself that I have to be back on a publishing schedule so that no matter what, once a week, posts come out, both on my law practices blog and also on my personal blog. So even when I think I have nothing to say, there's always content that, that's worth creating because um, I am also a huge advocate of quality content. And then in regards to convincing my fellow lawyers in the firm to produce content for their blog, that is a challenge because you're right. We do have you know, court mandated deadlines and we bill at hundreds of dollars an hour. Um, but I will hopefully, I'm still working on it. Um, you know, hopefully they will see that when half of my clients coming in the door, find me through the internet and they are people I've never met, never heard of. Um, 
yeah, I may take an hour or two to create a post, but if it brings in 10 hours worth of business, it's more than paid for itself. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I couldn't agree. I think, you know, us living in this world, creating content, content creators or, or working amongst them, we all know that it's going to pay off in the long run. Uh, what are some of the, the core metrics that you're tracking on your content creation? You talked about being able to actually correlate to some customers that you've dri- driven. And, and I think for a lot of us trying to convince whether it's our CEO in our organization or you know, for, if we're writing for a certain discipline where we have those professionals in our org, we obviously want those people to rise up and create content with us. How have you, how have you shown certain key metrics to your point that, that really resonate with people in your organization? I think one of the best things is when we open a new client file, one of the fields we enter is um, how did the client hear about us? And at least half the time um, for my clients, it's um, the internet and it's people I've never heard of. So uh, it's not going to happy hours or things like that anymore. It's people look for us online when they have a question or at least when they have a question, you know, when somebody has a question, what's the first thing they do a lot of times and they Google it. So that is one thing they can do. And then also when people reach out to us, Oh, I found you on the, Oh, I found your website. So um, and I, one thing I also, another thing I also do is I um, use WordPress for all my sites and I have the Jetpack plugin on it. So at a glance, we can see what are people searching for in getting to our site, what pages are getting the most traffic, and what is that telling us about people who are becoming clients of the firm. So it's an easy way to to show where we're getting traffic and how we're providing value to our prospective audience. And that may or may not be a correlation to our actual clients, but I accept that there are people out there who just want free information. And those people are happy to come to our site, read our posts, get what they need and leave. And these are the people who will never pay us. So I'm more than happy to have them visit our site rather than um, try to take time out of our day to call or email us trying to get this information that if we're already giving it away for free, we, uh, we don't have to spend extra time reinventing the wheel for them or telling them, yeah, we, we charge for this versus, hey, we'll give you basic information for free. It's not legal advice. Today's episode of Content Pros is brought to you by Clear Voice. Need a freelance writer? Clear Voice Marketplace can help you. Looking for trending topics or influencers? No problem. Clear Voice Content Studio is the answer for that one. Looking to store all your brand guidelines, keywords, and personas in one accessible space? That's right, Clear Voice can do that too. Even pay all your writers from one secure account. Go to demo.clearvoice.com for a free demo and tell them your friends at Content Pros Podcast sent you. So digging into your audience just a little more, I was I was cruising through your blog a little bit and looking at some of the posts that you've written, and I, I find it pretty interesting that you've made a de- you've made a decision about your audience where you're talking about general topics that are of, of interest to 
people in social media, people in marketing, just people with, uh, as I said, general interests and addressing them from a legal perspective, as opposed to speaking to a legal audience. Obviously, there's a, there's a whole... There's a whole industry of people, lawyers providing marketing advice to other lawyers, but you've you've chosen to go the other way. Can you talk about that a little bit? Sure. I I guess I like dealing with the non-legal audience more, and they're bigger. And if you've ever been to a legal conference versus a social media conference, you know which one's a lot more fun. So... um, (laughs) So I think in terms of you know who you know who is my audience who are my people, I prefer the social media uh, marketing audience. I think I just have a better rapport with them. And then in regards to um, you know, providing marketing information to lawyers, I still get those calls, and I'm actually doing a talk tomorrow morning at 7 a.m. to a group of estate planning lawyers about uh, SEO and just the basics of it. And I, and I get to go in and, and just tell them, I'm not a marketing expert, but this is what's working for me. And I do a lot of like repeating of things that I learn at conferences like uh, Content Marketing World and other places like that. Um, and I, I do find that the marketing industry is more receptive to hearing legal information about their industry versus lawyers who want to learn about marketing. Because I think lawyers want to learn, but when they realize that they have to do a lot more work up front compared to the old days where maybe they got to just outsource everything to to just buy a billboard or a TV commercial or something like that, where it's like a one and done. Um, it's, that's not how it is anymore. It's much more interactive. And I don't know if... A lot of lawyers who seek out the information about content marketing are willing to put in the work once they realize how much is involved because it's not just about creation anymore. It's about being willing to be part of a community and interact with the audience. So taking, taking that one step further in, in focusing on your, your non-legal audience, how do you kind of keep up with the issues that are that are affecting marketers or people in content and social media and and how do you come up with some of your ideas for some of your content One of my favorite things to do when I speak at conferences when they let me do it is I just put up a slide with a list of all the topics I am knowledgeable on and I say, what are your questions? You know, let's let's talk about what you what you want to learn, and and that helps set the stage for like what are the the hot topics lately. And I do try to attend blogging conferences. I probably apply to speak at more social media conferences versus legal conferences. So. I get to hear from people who are in the trenches, whether they're doing it for themselves or they work for an agency, about what are the issues that are going on. And I can ask them about things that I know about and just kind of take their temperature on what they know and what they see as important. And so that helps me keep up with what's going on and what's important so I can provide accordingly. 
So, so Ruth, I'm going to be that annoying person when you're out on a weekend and someone finds out that you're a lawyer and they're like, oh, I'm going to get some free legal advice here. So for all of our content marketers who are naturally listening to the Content Pros podcast, I think some of the things that people are starting to wonder or sometimes we wonder and we just kind of run away from it are questions like, you know, ownership of content, right? Okay. As, as a company, we're creating all this content do we truly own the rights to that content when we do so? And it, you know, I've heard people question whether they need to build this into employment agreements, into policies in their organization where they have individuals who are creating content, they're hiring them for their thoughts. Who owns that content at the end of the day? Is it the individual who you've hired or is it the company? And should we be doing anything more to protect our, our rights to our content as an organization? So the answer to every legal question starts with, it depends. So in, <laughs> in regards to who owns, who owns the intellectual property in content, it is often a question of who created it? Is it a company? Is it a freelancer? And what do the contracts related to the project say about ownership and in terms of like who owns it, if there is a transfer in ownership, when does that occur? And if it's a situation where it is an employee works for an agency, the agency is the author of the person's work when they're doing client work, not the individual. So I've seen plenty of situations where someone works for an agency they leave the agency, or even if they don't, they just have an online portfolio of their work and they use samples from the work they did through the agency as an employee, they don't own that. Copyright says when you are an employee, your employer is the copyright owner and holder um, of everything you create within the scope of your work. Versus if we're talking about a freelancer who's hired either by an agency or directly by a company to create Unless you have a contract that specifically states that it's a work made for hire or that there's a contract or that there's a copyright assignment, the freelancer owns the, the, co uh, the copyright in the work created. And if you don't have verbiage in there about licensing, it may get a little complicated about, well, what did the company that hired you actually purchase and how can they still, you know, can they still use the content under what circumstances? And this is uh, one of the reasons why I am a huge proponent of contracts, um, not filled with legalese, but just clear contracts written in plain English that explains what's being created, what is the scope of the work, who owns it at the end. Um, there's a great video uh, on YouTube featuring Mike Montero and his attorney Gabe Levine from... Oh, God, what was it? Uh, it was an event in San Francisco talking about contracts and how they've helped him, Mike Montero, and his company manage client expectation and projects. This is, this is uh, kind of, I think, 
eye-opening probably to a lot of us. I mean, I, I think a lot of us just think, okay, well, let's just get content and it doesn't matter how we get it. So, you know, I definitely urge people to, to take your advice and make sure that if, if you are freelancing, it sounds like especially that, that you look into the contracts that you have with those freelancers to ensure that you own the rights to that content. Absolutely. Um, so kind of spinning off of this, another, I guess, somewhat related topic that I also know people have a lot of questions about when it comes to content ownership is the whole craze around curation of content. Mm-hmm. And the term curation means things to so many different people. But there's a lot of tools out there. There's a lot of solutions that actually allow people to curate content. There's companies like Scoop It. There's you know even Uberflip. You know the company I I you know work with has tools that would allow you to curate content from say Twitter or say YouTube and bring it into your site or your distribution emails. What is what's your advice to people who are leveraging content that they have not created to establish thought leadership? And is that something that we have to be more careful with? Well, with any tool, you have to look at how are you using it. And, you know, like with, you know, if you have a hammer, well, that can be great for building a house. It also can be great for killing your neighbor. So it depends on how are you using it um, to determine, you know, is this a good idea? So in regards to curating content, these tools could be great for finding things. uh, But I would read the fine print to verify that, when you find something that you want to use, that you can use it in the way you want. So generally posting a link to something is not problematic because you're not creating a copy of it. You're just pointing to it saying, hey, go look at this. And that's why embedding YouTube videos isn't problematic because you're not recreating the original. You're not taking away traffic from their content. Now, if you are making copies and distributing it, um, that's potentially problematic. And that's when you want to read the fine print about, you know, is this like a Creative Commons issue? Is this fair use where you're adding to the conversation? Uh, This is one of those times when maybe you call the lawyer to say, hey, we found this tool. We need to know kind of our do's and don'ts on how to use it. As well as whenever you use a tool, whether it's a social media platform or something used for uh, curation, read the terms of service to see what you're getting yourself into to make sure that it's the right fit for your needs. Today's episode of Content Pros is brought to you by Uberflip and their weekly podcast called Flip the Switch, where they bring some of the brightest marketing minds together to provide useful insights, actionable takeaways, and a fresh approach to the content marketing challenges you face daily. Head over to bit.ly slash flip content to discover the tips and tactics that will help you flip the switch from ordinary to remarkable. Continuing in the vein of pumping you for free legal advice, Ruth. Legal information. I can only give advice to people who pay me. Uh, That's right. Legal, I'm sorry, legal information. Free legal information here on Content Pros. Uh, You recently wrote a blog post about FTC, Federal Trade Commission, disclosure. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that seems to be a, a, another one of these topics that people just really don't understand the details or there, there are lots of people coming into this marketing space that just don't even know about it. 
can can you give an overview of what what that disclosure looks like uh, in the in the form of information? And I guess specifically, we're just talking about the United States, right? Right. Right. No, I I only know American law. When I get people who email me from the UK or Africa or Asia. I, I have to just cringe and say, I'm sorry, I don't, I don't know the laws of your country. You have to call a local attorney for help. So, How about us Canadians? I'm, I'm Canadian, and we're not that bad, right? Well, I mean, Canadians as a species are awesome. Um, <laughs> but in terms of what your laws are, I, I'm still not the place to look. Fair enough, fair enough. <laughs> so, uh, but when, so, Randy, cover your ears. This information does not apply to you. Well, it applies I, I, to him when he's in the States. But yeah, I can't help you north of the border. So yeah, FTC is a, is a good law that's based on transparency. It's about letting people know when they are reading content where the writer has a relationship with the company. So uh, native advertising, if you're getting, you're writing a product review, but you got something for free, Things like that. Um, if you're a company and you want to send out free product to you know, bloggers or vloggers to get reviews or just hopefully that they'll post about it, um, all those things have to be disclosed. And the, the more, one of the more recent publications from the FTC say it has to be disclosed prior to the reader forming an opinion about the product. So you want to disclose it at the beginning of a post. Or if you're posting a link on Twitter or Facebook, that post on that social media platform has to it has to inform the reader, um, I have a relationship with this company, which thankfully can be done with just the hashtag ad. Um, and you don't have to be in a financial relationship, just getting something for free, or let's say it's a product that your company's, um, you're, let's say you're an agency and you're working with this uh, you know, cool drone company and you want to write a blog post about how much you love playing with this drone. Well, you still have to disclose that too, because even though you're, you didn't get it, you, you're not necessarily getting it for free, um, you still may have bias. And so... That's the purpose of the law is to let people know when the writer might be biased or is otherwise in a financial relationship with the company. So affiliate links, things like that. You have to disclose before you post um, the link or post the review of the product. So that way the reader knows going into it, okay, this person is saying nice things about this product. But I already knew in advance, hey, this is your, this is your brother-in-law's company or you got it for free or something like that. So they can make an educated decision about what they're reading. So that's the purpose of the law. Uh, they've, they've been better about clarifying what the do's and don'ts are. So the expectation is that in the future, they will be more likely to find uh, companies and content creators who don't disclose properly. And I believe that fine can be up to $16,000 per post now. So um, a lot of times when I'm working with content creators who are, who are worried about something and they say, oh, well, if something bad happens, I'll just take it down or I'll say I'm sorry. And it's like, well, you can't always I'm sorry your way out of problems. So, uh, you know, just, just asking, how big is your rainy day fund? And to make sure that they can cover the fine in the event it doesn't go 
quite the way they expected it to. So Ruth, when you're out cruising the internet and consuming content as we do looking at social media sites and blogs and et cetera, when you come across something that you know is, I'll, I'll say, legally questionable according to the laws of the United States, do you just shake your head and move on? Or is it more likely to, like, would you ever reach out to someone proactively and say, hey, maybe you shouldn't do this? Or does it become fodder for a blog post? Like, how do you, how do you react when you see something that you know is, is pretty egregious? Well, I've always said life is blog material. So yeah, if it's egregious, there's a good chance it's going to end up on my blog. Um, but in regards to how do I react, if I don't have a relationship with the person, I usually don't say anything directly to them just because it's none of my business um, in terms of like, they're not my client. It's not my job. Um, I don't want to get into um, a pissing match with somebody who thinks they know what they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah, there are a lot of people online who think they know the law, which gets interesting when I speak at conferences and and the uh, some people in the audience try to tell me that I'm wrong. I'm like, really? I literally wrote the book on this. So um, I think I know a little bit about this stuff. So, um, but if it's a friend, um, that's when I'll usually reach out to them privately, directly and say, um, just so you know, uh, this may be a problem. Uh, and then what they do with that information is is up to them. Again, even with friends, they're, they're not my clients. I can't give legal advice. I can just say, you may want to know about this, or I may send them a link to like the, the federal, you know, appropriate website to say, uh, you may want to know this. And that's usually where I leave it. I love, I love that line at the beginning. Life, life is for blogging. Is that what you said? Life is blog material. Life is blog material. That's great. That's that's tweetable right there. Um, all right, so we're we're running low on time, but we've got some lightning questions for you. So these are these are designed just to get to know you a little bit better. Uh, hopefully, you'll only take half of them seriously, if that. Um, <laughs> And, and I'll start by, by proving that I checked out some of your content. Um, so quick answers, drones, and you already talked about them, cool or not cool? Very cool, but if you ever give me one, I promise I'll probably fly it into a wall and break it. <laughs> yeah, my, my, kids have put some in, my kids have put some into trees very quickly. Uh, all right, next one, favorite law and order. Is it like the SVU or just the basic law and order? Oh, SVU. That's for you. Good answer. Good answer. All right. Uh, we're going to get your credentials. Where did you go to law school? Arizona State University. All right. Um, okay. We're going we're gonna, to... A lot of people who follow us love technology. So dating back to the Winklevoss twins, do you think they should have gotten more than what they settled for with Facebook? Jeez. Oh, Sometimes the question is, do you want to win or do you, you know, do you want to be right or do you want it to be over? So if they walked away, I'm assuming that they were happy. And so it's not my place to say whether or not they, you know, they got what they deserved. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right. You are a lawyer, so we're going to get you to finish a very famous line. You can't handle the truth all right and in in that light if i gave you the question truth or dare you would typically choose 
truth. Okay. So because we'll f- I have said life is blog material, and if you can find it online, I'll own it. So chance, and I will own a lot. So chances are, get, finding and an, a question that I won't answer is pretty low. Fair enough. Fair enough. So we're gonna we're gonna get this truth from you. Is it true that you've sung the national anthem at a baseball game? Uh, two major league baseball games, actually. Very cool. Very cool. Great, great to have you on this podcast, Ruth. Uh, maybe before before we sign off here, you can also let people know where they can follow some of the content that you create on on a regular basis. Absolutely. Probably the uh, best place to find me is through Twitter. I'm at RB Carter. And can I close with my two rules of thumb for posting content online? Absolutely. All right. These are my two rules. Rule number one, don't post anything online that you wouldn't put on the front page of the newspaper. And rule number two is assume everything you post is going to be seen by four people. Your best friend, your worst enemy, your boss, and your mother. If you don't want one of those people seeing what you're thinking about posting, don't put it out there. That's amazing. I love that. Uh, Thanks to Ruth Carter for joining us today on Content Pros. Thanks, as always, to Jeff Cohen from Oracle Marketing Cloud for joining me. I'm Randy Frisch from Uberflip. If you've enjoyed this podcast, I hope you'll check out more of them at contentprospodcast.com. And just to remind you that Content Pros is part of the Convince and Convert family of podcasts. So if you're enjoying what we've got going here, there's a lot of other great podcasts from social pros to the business of story and many more urge you to check out everything at convincingconvert.com and please subscribe to our podcast again at itunes leave us a, a review there let us know what you're liking and we'll make sure to continue to bring you great content thanks so much and uh, make sure that you're careful with your content after this podcast Thanks for tuning in to Content Pros. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentprospodcast.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. Content Pros is sponsored by Clearvoice Content Marketing Software, Convince and Convert, Oracle Marketing Cloud, and by Uberflip, and is produced by Convince and Convert Media. Find more great shows like Content Pros at marketingpodcast.com the first search engine for marketing podcasts. Podcast imaging by Audio Bag.